0: My favorite theorem, a special Valentine's Day edition this year. Uh I'm one yes. of your hosts, uh Kevin Knudsen, Professor of Mathematics at the University of Florida. This is your other host.
1: Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah.
0: How's it going, Evelyn?
1: Oh, it's going okay. We got uh probably had fifteen inches of snow in the past day and a half or so. Oh so um
0: it's yeah. sunny and it's sunny and eighty in Florida, so I'm not going to rub it in. Uh, so yeah. so th- this is a Valentine's Day edition. Uh, are you mm-hmm. and your your uh, spouse doing anything special?
1: Uh, we're not big Valentine's Day people, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we're.
0: Um, so so here's, yeah. here's 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 the nerdy thing I did. So you know, Ellen, my wife, is an artist, and uh, she loves pens and pencils. So um, there's this great website uh, called CW Pencil Enterprises. And they had a little—they okay. have a little kit, like where you can make a bouquet of pencils for your significant other. So this is what I did, because we've been married for almost 27 years. I mean, we don't have to, you know, uh, have, have the big show anymore. But uh, so that—that's that, our Valentine's Day, and then I'll probably yeah. just cook something. Well, but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're not big Valentine's Day people, but I got very excited about doing a Valentine's Day episode of yes. My Favorite Theorem yeah. because of the guests that we have. Will you I introduce know. them?
0: This is great. So uh, we are pleased to have uh, Nikita Nikolaev and uh, Beatriz Navarro, and uh, they had some popular uh, press. So why, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and, and tell, yourselves, uh, tell everybody about you?
2: Hi. Yeah. So my name is Nikita. I uh, I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. Um, I study algebraic geometry of sort of singular differential equations. Uh,
3: And I'm Beatrice. I'm currently a PhD student at the University of Toronto, but I'm doing an exchange program at the University of Geneva. So that's why we're here together. And I'm studying probability in particular uh, directed polymers in random environments. Okay, cool. So, so that is actually applicable in some way? Yes, yes it is.
1: Oh, great.
0: So, uh, so why, why, don't we, why don't we talk about this whole thing with, with the wedding? So uh, we, we had this conversation before we started recording, but I'm sure our guests, uh, our, our listeners would love to, to hear this. So, so what exactly happened at your wedding?
2: So we had, uh, uh, both of us being mathematicians, of course, we had uh, almost, almost everybody was either a mathematician or somehow mathematically related, uh, all, most, most of our guests. Um, so we decided to have uh, a little bit of fun at the wedding, uh, sprinkle a little bit of maths here and there. And one of the ideas was to, um, in order for, so when the guests arrive at the dinner venue, in order for them to find where, which table they're sitting at, they would have to solve a small mathematical problem. Um, and uh, so basically they would, they would arrive at the venue there, they would open their name card, um, and the name card would contain a, a first coordinate. Um, and a
3: question. And
2: a question. And the questions were very bespoke. Mm. <laughs> um, so it uh, it really <laughs> depended very much on what we know the uh, uh, their mathematical background to be. So we had m- many, uh, many people who are, you know, in my former research group. So I directly pulled questions from their papers or some of the talks they've given. <laughs> uh, this is
1: so great. Yeah. And, the, <clears throat>
2: and there were there were some people who are uh, maybe they're not mathematicians. They're engineers or chemists or something. And we would have uh, questions which are maybe more mathematically flavored rather than than actual, you know, rather than actual mathematical questions. Just to make everyone feel like they're at a the wedding of mathematicians. Right. Um, so so right. So they had to say they basically had uh, uh, they had to uh, find out um, uh, two coordinates. <clears throat> so all the tables were named after regular polyhedra, and they had to find out what their regular poly what their polyhedron of the nights was.
3: Okay. And, uh, in order
2: to do that, there was a, there was a matrix of polyhedra. Uh, and <laughs> you just need to kind of find each one had two coordinates, and you know once you find out what the two coordinates are, you look at that matrix, and it gives you what polyhedron you've got. So you open the as a guest, you would open the name card, and it would contain your first coordinates and a question and a multiple choice answer, and the and the answers were really, I mean they're kind of two.
3: Usually, it was one correct answer and two crazy answers that had nothing to do with the question. Most of them were 2019, because that's the year we got married. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then some other, some other option. Uh, and then once you choose your answer, you would be directed to some other card that had a name of some mathematical term or some theorem, and that one would give you the second coordinate.
2: Yeah, so we made this cool, what we called a maths tree, so we had several of these uh, manzanita trees, and we put little cards on them with uh, uh with names with, with these mathematical terms with, uh, kind of the answers of people's uh people's questions and we we just had this tree with cards hanging down like uh, more than a hundred cards hanging down and uh what i like it, it kind of in mathematicians i think used this hunting
0: uh, yeah. hunting instinct
2: <laughs> that you somehow you you look at this tree and there's all these terms that you you know you recognize and you've seen before in your life in your mathematical career and you're just searching for the for that one that you know uh, is the correct is the one. correct one.
3: And then of course we wanted to make sure everyone found their table. So if they for any reason chose the wrong answer, they would also be directed to some card with a mathematical term. And when they open it, it said, "Oops, try again." so that way you knew okay i just have to go and try again and find what the correct coordinate would be
0: this is amazing
2: and then (laughs) then to foolproof the whole thing uh of course you know during the cocktail hour they would do this kind of hunting hunting for mathematical terminology but then the doors would open into the dinner room and uh, just like you know, just like most textbooks, when you open the back of the textbook, there's the answer key. And uh, in the dinner room, we had the answer key, which was uh, just a a poster with uh, everyone's names and what their, uh,
3: their polyhedron what was. their
2: polyhedron of the night was. Yeah. So there was it was foolproof. So some some commenters I think on the internet were very concerned that some guests wouldn't find their seat and
0: right. starving <laughs> to hungry. Death. Yeah. No, no, it was all yes. thought
2: through completely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, some some of the internet comments people were just incredulous. Like I can't believe these people forced their guests to do this. So they don't understand <laughs> yes. that that we would think this is incredible. This is amazing. You know? Yeah. Right. yeah. So
1: delightfully nerdy and yeah. uh, thoughtful. But but yeah. So we mentioned like this did. End up on the internet in some ways, which is how I heard about it because I sadly was not invited to your wedding <laughs> um, <laughs> since this is the first time I have looked at you at all um so so yeah, how did it end up um making the rounds on some weird corner of the internet
2: uh so basically uh, a couple of weeks before the wedding, I posted this thing on Facebook. I I made a post on Facebook, which, uh, to it was like a, it was a private Facebook post just to my Facebook friends. Uh, You know, a Facebook friend is a a very uh, general notion. Right. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, and I kind of briefly explained what, you know, that all our friends, all our guests are mathematicians, and so we're going to do this cool thing, which is, you know, we're going to come up with questions, mathematical questions, and, and one of my Facebook friends, a Facebook acquaintance, I later found out who it was uh, but they, they probably didn't like it so much and they, they did a screen grab and, and then they posted uh, with our names redacted and everything redacted, they posted uh, and they made a post on Reddit which oh. was like, maths shaming, look, these, these, uh, these people are forcing their guests to solve a mathematical question for, uh, to find their seat, maths shaming. Yeah. In yeah. fact, in fact if you, it was like if,
3: in the bride sealer. Yeah uh, thread. <laughs> like this crazy bride is forcing their guest to yeah. solve mathematical problems and how yeah. evil like she is <laughs> which funny yeah. because Nikita was the one who wrote that Facebook yeah, post. I actually right. was the one. so it was not a bridezilla it's what I like to call a groom con. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, so so then so then this red uh Reddit uh thread kind of got uh, very popular. And then later, I think uh, some newspaper in Australia picked it up and then it just snowballed from there. Fox News, yeah. Daily Mail. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: well this, this is great. So, yeah. Well, this is good. Now you've had your 15 minutes of fame and, and, yeah. and, and now <laughs> yes. life can get back to normal. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. This is a great story. Okay. So, but this is a podcast about theorems. So what is your favorite theorem?
2: Right. Yeah. So we, we kind of actually looked thought uh long and hard about what theorem to choose like what what is our favorite theorem it's such a difficult question actually sure it's it's kind of like you know what is your favorite music piece and it's i mean it's so many variables it depends on the day right yeah yeah but we we kind of uh we ended up deciding that uh we were going to choose the intermediate value theorem oh nice uh, our favorite theorem good so uh
3: So, yes, the Intermediate Value Theorem is probably one of the first theorems that you learn when you go to university, right? It's like calculus, you start learning basic calculus and it's one of the first theorems that you see. And, well, what it says is that, well, suppose you start with a continuous function f and you look at some interval a, b, so the function f sends a to fa, b to fb, and then you pick any value Y that is between f of a and f of b, and then you know that you will find a point C that is between A and B, such that f of C equals y. So it looks like an incredible, inc- incredibly simple statement. Obvious. Sure. right, right. But it's, it is a quite powerful statement. Most students believe it without proof. they, they don't need it. is yes absolutely obvious, but, well, we have a lot of things that we like about the theory.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a kind of, it's, it's incredibly, it feels incredibly simple and, and completely obvious. You look at it and it's, you know, you it's it's the only thing that could possibly be true. And it's, but the, the, the cool thing about it, of course, is that it represents kind of the essence of what we mean about uh, continuous, what we mean by continuous functions. Sure. In yeah. fact, actually, if you look at the history uh, before our modern formal definition of continuity, uh, that was uh, that was part of the uh, uh, property, that was a, a, a required property that people used to use as part of the definition of continuity. In fact, actually there was kind of be- before, if you look at the history, uh, b- before we formalized the definition of continuity, people were very confused about uh, what a, c- a continuous function actually should mean, and many many thought erroneously that uh, this intermediate value property was equivalent to continuity and in, in some in some sense it it's kind of it 's what you would want to believe because it it really is the property that uh, more or less formalizes what you know we normally tell our students that you know heuristically a continuous function is you know one that if you want to draw it, you can draw it without taking off your pencil. Right. Off the piece of paper, and that's what Intermediate Value Theorem, this Intermediate Value Property, um, it, uh, it it represents that really. But uh, for all its simplicity and triviality, if you if you actually um, uh, if you actually look uh, at it properly, if you if you look at uh, our modern definition of continuity using epsilon delta, then it's uh, it becomes not obvious at all.
3: Yes, yeah, so if you see Epsilon, you look at the definition of continuity, and you have Epsilon's, Delta's... How, how is possible that from this thing you get such an obvious statement, like the Intermediate Value Theorem? So, what the Intermediate Value Theorem is telling us is that, well, continuous functions do exactly what we want them to do. They are what we intuitively think of a continuous function. So... In a sense, what the Intermediate Value Theorem is doing for us is serving as a bridge between this formal definition that we encounter in university, so we start first-year calculus and then our professor gives us this epsilon-delta definition of continuity, and he's like, oh, but in high school I learned that a continuous function is one that I can draw without lifting my pencil. It's like, well, the Intermediate Value Theorem is precisely that, it's connecting the two ideas just in a very powerful way.
2: Yeah, and uh, and also, you know, uh, cannot be overstated how useful it is. I mean, we use it all the time in all, I mean, there, you know, there's a, as a geometer, of course, uh, you know, you, I guess you use some generalization of it that, uh, you know, continuous functions sent connected sets to connected, and we use it all, all the time, absolutely, without thinking, without, uh, abs- take it absolutely for granted. Um, uh, so
3: even if you do analysis, you are using it all the time because you can see that the intermediate value theorem is also equivalent to the least upper bound property. So the completeness axiom of the real numbers, which is quite incredible to see that just having the intermediate value theorem could be just equivalent to such a fundamental axiom for the real numbers, right? So. It appears everywhere. It's, it's surprising. We know it's very easy when you see the proof of the Intermediate Value Theorem. You see that it's a consequence of this least upper bound property, but the converse is also true. So in a sense, we have that kind of very powerful notion there.
0: I don't think I knew the converse. So I'm a topologist, right? So to me, this is just a statement that a, you know a continuous image of a connected set is connected. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the hard yes. part is showing that the connected subsets of the real line are precisely the intervals, which yes. I guess is where the least upper bound uh, property comes in. Yes, indeed. That's yes, that's right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I, yes, I haven't thought about analysis in a while. As it turns out, <laughs> um, we're we're um, we're hiring several people this year, and and uh, for some of them, we've asked them to do a teaching demonstration, and we we want them all to do the same thing. And as it so happens, it's a calculus one demonstration about continuity and the intermediate value mm-hmm. theorem. Oh. <laughs> so, so in the last nice. month, I've seen, you know, 10 presentations about the, the Intermediate Value Theorem. Um, and I've come to really appreciate it as a result. Um, uh, my favorite application is though that, uh, you know, that, that you can use it to prove that you can always make any table level, or not level, but all four, all four legs touch the ground at the same uh, time. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. that, that yes, that's, right. that's great yes. fun. The table won't be level necessarily, but all four feet will be on the ground, so it won't wobble. Yes. <laughs>
2: Right. If, right. if only, if only, were actually applied in, in, uh, in building our <laughs> classrooms, right? <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: What? <laughs> right. The first That's thing you so do right.
2: many wobbly tables. Yeah. The first yeah. thing you always do when you come to, you know, you sit at a desk somewhere yeah. is, uh, oh, yeah. you know, just pull out a piece of paper to mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. to yeah. actually level it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. So, was this a theorem that you immediately really appreciated, or do you feel like your appreciation has grown? Um, as you have matured mathematically
3: in my case i definitely learned to appreciate it more and more as i matured mathematically uh the first time i saw the theorem it's like okay yes interesting very cool theorem but i didn't realize at the moment how powerful that theorem was then as my mathematical like learning uh continued then i realized oh this is happening because of the Intermediate Value Theorem, and this is also a consequence of it. So there's so many important things that are a consequence of the Intermediate Value Theorem that really makes me appreciate it.
2: Well, there's also uh, somehow... I think this also comes with maturity when you realise that some very... well, you know, what appear to be very hard theorems, if you strip away all the complexity, uh, you realise that uh, they may be really just some clever application of the Intermediate Value Theorem, mm-hmm. like uh, Sharkovsky's
3: Charkovsky. like Theorem, for example. Is Sharkovsky's Theorem is a theorem about periodic points of continuous functions, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it just introduces some new ordering in the natural numbers, and it tells you that if you have a periodic point of some period m, then you will have periodic points of any period that comes after m in mm-hmm. that ordering. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also look at the famous period 3 implies chaos. Right. A big component of it is period 3 implies all other periods. Mm-hmm. And the proof of it is really just a clever use of the Intermediate Value Theorem. It's It's so interesting that such an important mm-hmm. and famous theorem is just a very kind of immediate Though, you know, it takes some work to get it, but sure. you can definitely do it with just the intermediate value theorem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually like to present that theorem to students uh, in high school because they can believe the intermediate value theorem. Yeah. And that's something that if you tell someone this is true, no one is going to question it. It's definitely true. Sure. And then you tell them, Oh, using this thing that is obvious, we can also prove this other thing and i've actually done it with high school students to you know prove sharkovsky's theorem just starting from the fact that they believe the intermediate value theorem so they can get to higher level theorems just from something very simple Mm -hmm. and i think that's beautiful
2: yeah that's kind of a, a very astonishing thing that from something so simple and you know what looks obvious you can get uh, statements, which really are not obvious at all, like what you just explained, mm-hmm. the Tchaikovsky theorem. Mm-hmm. That's It's yeah. kind of a mind-blowing thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're making a pretty good case, I must say. That's right, yeah.
2: <laughs> but, so
1: <laughs> when we started this podcast, our very first episode was Kevin and I just talking about our own favorite theorems. And I have already since uh, re... Uh, you know, uh, one of our other guests has... Um, Taken my loyalty elsewhere, and I think you're kind of dragging me. So I, I think, uh, I think my theorem love is is quite fickle. It turns out I, I can be persuaded.
0: You know, in the beginning of the of of, the, of our conversation, you pointed out, you know, you, how does one choose a favorite theorem, right? And and it, yes. it's sort of Very like difficult. it's 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 like your favorite theorem du jour. It mm, it, exactly. it, it has to yes, be exactly yeah.
3: yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. All right. So what does one pair with the intermediate value theorem?
3: so we thought about it and to continue with the valentine's day theme, we want to pair the intermediate value theorem with love in a relationship
0: oh ah, okay okay good
3: and <laughs> the reason why we want to pair it with love is because when you love someone it's completely obvious to you you just know it's true <laughs> you know you love someone that's true you just feel like there's no proof required it's just you know it. You love this person. It's
2: the only thing that can possibly be true. There's no there's no reason to prove
3: it. <laughs> but also, just like any good theorem, you can also prove. You can provide a proof of love, right? You can show someone that you love them. So, yeah. Any,
2: any good mathematical theorem uh, is uh, can always be supplied with a very rigorous, detailed, Uh, to whatever required level (laughs) proof and if you truly really truly love someone you can you can prove it and and if someone questions any part of that proof you can always supply more details and more detailed explanation for why why you love that person and uh, that's why i think we kind of we there's a similarity between the intermediate value theorem and uh, love in a relationship (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, I'm thinking of the poem now. How do I love the count? Let me count the ways. Right.
0: And, well, you know, <laughs> right. This
1: is a slightly mathematically flavored uh,
0: poem. But I think there, there, there must be at least you know the the continuity, of the continuum ways, right? Or the the yeah. continuum <laughs> yes. ways. Um, Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's an excellent yeah, also, pairing. Yeah. 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 We also
3: thought that love is. Is there is something that we feel we we take it as an obvious statement and then from love we can build so many other things right like in the intermediate value theorem case we start from a theorem that looks obvious and using it we can prove so many other theorems so it's the same right in a relationship you start from love and then you can build so many other great things
1: yeah a marriage for example for instance (laughs) yeah and a, a ridiculously uh, amazing wedding game as part of that.
2: <laughs> there, were, there were some other mathematical tidbits uh, in the wedding. So w- one of them I'll mention is uh, our rings. Our wedding bands are oh, actually Mobius bands.
1: Okay, very yeah, nice. We,
2: we had to work with a jeweler and there's a bit of a trick because if you, if you just take, a, you know, a wedding band and you do the twist to make it a Mobius band, then the kind of the place where it twists would stick out too much. Yeah. So the idea is to try to squish it, and that, that of course is a bit challenging when you, if you want to make a, a good looking ring. So that was uh, that was part of the problem that had to be solved.
1: Yeah. Well, my my wedding ring is also it's not a Mobius band, but it's it's one that I helped design with a particular. Oh very nice. Uh, Nice. Somewhat mathish design. Yeah, so, so. so
0: my, my wife and I are on our second set of wedding bands. The first ones, uh, because we were, I was a graduate student and poor, we, we got silver ones. Um, and the and so s- silver doesn't last as long. Uh, so so we're on our second ones. But the first ones were handmade, and they were they had sort of like a, a similar to Evelyn sort of a little crossing thing. Um, so they they were a little bit mathy too. I, I guess that's a thing that we do, right? This is right. Yeah. It's, nice. yeah. it's, inev- yeah. it's inevitable. That's it's inevitable. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. So we, we, we like to give our guests a chance to plug anything. Uh, do you have any uh, websites, books, uh, wedding registries that you want to plug? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: actually, in terms of the wedding registry also, we, uh, lots of our guests, of course, were asking, uh, we didn't. so we didn't have a wedding registry because uh, given the career of a postdoc where you travel from place to place every, every few years, a wedding registry isn't the most practical thing Um, yeah difficult
3: (laughs) yes so we said well you can just give us anything you like we'll have a box where you can leave envelopes and some of our guests were very creative they gave us some of them decided to give us money but the amounts they chose were very interesting because they were like some you know integer times e or times pi or some (laughs) some combination so they were very like they wrote the number and then they explained right. what, like how they came up <laughs> with that number, and that was very interesting and sweet. Yeah,
2: some some of them didn't explain it, uh, but we kind of understood. Uh, we you know we cracked the code essentially. <laughs> Except one, there was one. So one of our friends wrote us a check with a very strange number, and to this day we, we still don't, don't we know still what the number we, is. We kept trying to guess <laughs> what it could be. Uh, but no, I don't know. Uh, maybe I just uh, eventually I'll just have to ask.
0: I'm, maybe it was, just random. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe it was <laughs> just random.
1: Maybe it was just
3: random. Yes, yeah, I think to us, one of the best gifts people gave us was their reaction right. after seeing the cards. In particular, there is a very, very nice story of a guest who really, really loved the way we up everything and maybe can Yeah me so we about we that.
2: at the at the dinner we would approach tables to say hi to some guests and uh, so this particular he, he's actually uh, teaching, teaching mentor. teaching mentor so I'm very much
3: into teaching and he's the one who taught me most so, of the things I know about So teaching. we approached
2: we approached him and uh, and he he looked at us and he pulled out the name card out of his uh, breast pocket and like this this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This is, this is incredible. It's, it's from my last paper, isn't it? <laughs> and we said, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. He's like, well, I, have to, I have to send it to my collaborator. He's going to love it. <laughs> uh, it was just, and just seeing that, like, that reaction, him telling us how much he loved the card, just made all those hours that I and Bea spent uh, reading through papers and trying to come up with some kind of you know, short-sounding question uh, to be put into a multiple choice, all, made all of that worthwhile.
1: Yeah, I I'm just imagine it, like usually you don't have to like cram for your wedding,
3: but, <laughs> <laughs> yes. right. but yeah you got it all is. these papers and you've got to read. Yeah, right. we spent days going yeah. through sure. everyone's papers and yeah. trying to find questions that were short enough to put in a small car mm-hmm. and also easy to answer as a multiple choice question.
2: Yeah, some were easy, so for example my former PhD advisor uh, came to our wedding. And uh, I basically, uh, I gave him a question from my thesis, you know, just to make sure he's read it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, when, I, when we approached him at the dinner, and I said, oh, you know, did, did you like the question? And he just looked at me like, yeah, well, I gave you that question two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, some, some questions were easy to come up with, some questions were a bit more difficult. So we had, we had a number of people who, uh, from set theory, and neither of us are in set theory. I'd never ever before opened a paper in set theory, and so it was all very, very
0: new to me.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Well, this has been great fun. Thanks for being such good sports on short notice. And yeah. uh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Yeah.
1: yeah, really fun to, to talk to you about this. It, it, it's so much better than even the, the Reddit post and, and weird <laughs> <more> news stories <laughs> right, led me to believe.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, it's fun being newly married. You. Um, and, Thank And let you. me tell you, it's it's Thank fun being much. married for 27 years, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knutson and Evelyn Brown. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bauchan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk. That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.